This week, we have the owner of two open wins, two Century Belts, and Elite Series title, the one and only Patrick Walters on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Another week and another episode of Mercer, the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Dave Mercer. Thank you for coming back here. Happy Hump Day. It is a beautiful Wednesday. Wherever you are, I wish you happy Hump Day. And also, it's not just Hump Day. It is National Coast Guard Day, so thank you to the Coast Guard and everything they do. It is also National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. And who in the world doesn't like chocolate chip cookies? If you don't like chocolate chip cookies... I probably don't trust you. And that's that's all I got on that. Let's jump right into the show because this week we have a pretty cool guest. And this week's guest, I mean, he's so prim, so proper, so put together, so tucked in, so ironed, so different than me. I'm a disheveled mess and he is put together and man, what a career he is putting together i mean it's hard to believe he's only been on the elite series for three years but unbelievable what this guy has accomplished and uh the best part is i think he is just getting started you tell me what you think by listening into this podcast oh yeah while we get to our guest drop a like because it really helps let's bring in our guest patrick walters patrick walters thank you for taking time out of your day to waste with me here on our podcast i wouldn't necessarily call it wasting because something good is going to come out of this conversation i don't know what it's going to be yet but it's going to be something good that's kind of my goal every day something make something good happen today some days it works and a lot of days it doesn't what is your goal every day when you wake up in the morning, what is your goal? At the end of the day, what do you want to lay your head on your pillow and say, ah, I accomplished? Dave, that's a good question. I didn't know you were actually bringing the heat oh, on fire this, right away. I mean, from out of the gate, that's, like, that's probably the hardest question I have ever had in a podcast. But to feel accomplished, I guess you could say. But there's some days that I feel like doing absolutely nothing. When you take after three weeks on the road, after that northern swing, some days it feels good to do nothing, relax, just kind of veg out and then start to get some work done, really kind of get caught up um, and prepare for the next tournament. Um, that's kind of what I'm doing now. We are in the off season for the elite series, but I've still got three opens left and that's kind of what I'm gunning for. Uh, the next one's St. Lawrence. And uh, I'm actually kind of excited about that one. So that's kind of what I've been playing with is every day, just kind of getting more and more kind of geared up just to, Keep fishing. It's what I love to do. Do you fish the Opens any different than you fish the Elite Series? Or do you look at both tournaments the exact same way? Usually the same way. Um, I don't really break them down any differently. Uh, I go out there every day just trying to catch what I think I can catch. Nothing crazy. Um, just what can Patrick catch today? And that's what I go do every single tournament. I'll, I'll do the research and I'll break it down. I probably don't put in as much research like but behind the scenes like the legwork as i do in the elites but uh to get to the elites that was that was my job you know that was where you put all your time was the opens now that we're in the elites i put way more time in those but uh i still do take it pretty serious just because it's how you make a living 
when I look at everything you've accomplished, I mean, you and me are so different. I mean, we're just so opposite. You are so buttoned down and put. I together. thought we were like two peas in a pod. Well, we might be. I mean, but we'll find out by the end of this. But when I look at you from the, I mean, you, I mean, the area behind you is more organized than my entire office. Uh, your collection of trophies, just everything. When I look at you, it's put together. Was this always the plan? You know, when you say that was my job to make it to the elite series, when did that, you know, when did that plan start? Cause I do feel like with you, it very much was a plan. It wasn't just, Oh, I qualified and I took advantage of it. If that's organized, we're in bad shape because I'm telling you, like my life is in shambles of organization right now. It is in bad shape. Like if you saw my garage right now, it's rough. We definitely have some organization to do, but really I don't know when I, I set my mind to it that I wanted to fish for a living. I remember fishing my first tournament. It was actually an adult junior format. I fished with a buddy of mine, Bradford Beavers. He actually fishes on FLW now, RMLF. And uh, I was in sixth grade and uh, I grew up like saltwater fishing and stuff like that. And he asked me to fish a tournament and that first tournament that he took me on. I was like, I'm done. Like we, I'm hooked. I told dad when we got home today, I said, dad, we got up we got to get into bass fishing. And I'd say really into high school, probably about my sophomore year of high school, I quit baseball to, uh, to bass fish to kind of take it more serious. And it was kind of, when I made that decision, it was, I'm, I'm going to bass fish. And I remember all through college is like, man, I don't, I don't need to pass this class. You know, I'm going to fish for a living. Like that is like, that is what got me through college. I promise you. And I was just like, man, who cares? Like I'll, I'm just going to fish for a living. Like it sounds terrible, but I passed. I somehow got okay grades that they did. I did graduate. They handed me the diploma. That's all that matters. You did graduate and you do very much fish for a living. How different is it than what you envisioned? You know, when you think back to that moment when you said, man, the, what I just did, I'm going to do that a bunch more. I have to do that. From what you thought it was in your head to what it actually has become, comparable? I would say somewhat comparable, but I'd say there's more highs and more like off time, more slack time than you would think there is. Like behind the scenes of just tedious, like paperwork, sponsors, dealing with that kind of stuff, um, which you get used to that as you progress on, but... I would say it's more enjoyable because, I mean, I just love fishing. Um, when you could spend over 100 days on the water just chasing green and brown fish all the time. That's just catching fish. It, that's why I love the Elite Series because it's four days of fishing. And my goal every single tournament is to fish all four days because every single day of that tournament, you're going to make a memory. And that's what I love about fishing. It's, it's my passion. And just there's always memories to be made and fish to be caught. Do you love fishing more or do you love tournament fishing more or are the two even comparable? That's a good question. You know, I don't fun fish. I feel like as much as I used to, I still do it a little bit, but I feel like now I've got so kind of tournament mindset that I don't fish for fun because I feel like I'm not planning for something, which is weird. Like, I feel <laughs> like I have to have an objective. Like I got to be like, I got to go to like freaking catch them. Like I have to, I don't know. It's, it is weird. So I don't think I fun fish as much as I should, which um, I still get to do a little bit. I'm going to start doing it now that we've got an off season, but uh, I do enjoy tournament fishing. It was it tournament fishing. Was it the tournament fishing that addicted you to the fishing or did the fishing and then the tournaments evolve? Because when you talk about that experience, it was a tournament. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people are like, 
well, no, 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 I love fishing. I'm not just a tournament fisherman, but I get it where people, there's there's people who don't like to play cards unless there's something on the line. I can see that. No, I would say it evolved into the love of tournament fishing from fishing because me and my dad, we always grew up saltwater fishing. I mean, we would brim fish, like we offshore saltwater, like deep sea and inshore, like it didn't matter. I mean, if it swam, we were out there to catch it. And so once I fished my first tournament and saw that, it's like, dang, you could do this competitively. Like that was pretty cool. And then it's like, you could actually win money at this. And then it slowly progressed. And now it's just, I don't know, just the adrenaline rush of tournament fishing to blast off the race. I mean, uh, it's bragging rights, you know, everybody wants to beat everybody else. So man on top is always what you strive for. You've already mentioned your dad a few times, but I, I mean, I don't know if you realize how, cool your relationship with your parents is but from the outside looking at it you have some incredibly supportive parents i mean they're i don't know if it's always but it sure does seem like they are always there they really are they support me 100 and without them i probably wouldn't be here today because they believed in me from day 100 you would not be be here nope. today if it wasn't <laughs> that for is them, true so like know. i actually would not be on this earth yeah but uh no <laughs> <laughs> really i owe a lot to them and i love them very much but they support me so much because you have to have a support crew and now my lovely life she's she's starting to travel with me a lot as well so it, it helps to have people there because like i said there is highs and lows and you're not always catching fish and so growing up fishing th going to the college ranks into the opens um just having that support team there it helps it's just like a service crew I mean, you know, when stuff breaks, you got to go to the service crew to get your stuff fixed. Same way at home. If you got to have a good home life to be successful on the water. When you say highs and lows and I look at your career, there hasn't been a lot of lows on the elite series, has there? That's an opinion. You know, every everybody looks at them differently. There's a couple lows that I look at. I mean, I had a 99th one time. That one, that was a rough one. But uh <laughs> No, there's definitely tournaments that you believe you can do better in um, when you think you have a chance or you just missed opportunities where you just don't perform the way you should. And that's the biggest thing is you always want to perform to 100 percent and you kind of hold yourself accountable. Um, you have to put a certain amount of pressure on yourself to perform. And that's what I try to do every single time is you don't want to put too much pressure because then you don't enjoy it. And that's why we all fish is to enjoy it. But putting that certain amount of pressure and kind of stress on yourself to perform and to stay kind of to get close to hundred percent margin. If you can, where do you think you've run? Give yourself a grade and, and you know, and I don't mean result wise. I mean, in your head, you have to grade yourself. I'm sure after every season. So, so give me your, you give me your grade for the first few years on the three years now on the elite series. I'd say like a six and a half, maybe a seven, maybe seven's like on a good time. But this year was such a weird year. I never could get anything clicking, I feel like. Um, every tournament I had like weird practices. Nothing was coming together. I was going into the first day of the tournament, I mean, like stressing out because I'm like, I'm not on anything. I'm not going to catch them. What, what's going to happen? And then something just – you stumble into something and you figure something out. But this year was the curse of day two for some reason. I've always done good on day two for some reason, but this year – I have bombed, I think, almost every single day on day two. I think, and that's really what cost me my season. If you look at every tournament, day two killed me, except St. Lawrence. I, day one was rough. But um, at Neely Henry, I caught four fish. Look at Fork. 
uh, I caught 15 pounds on day two. It's just every single tournament I would slip on day two for some reason. And then day three, I would just say, Hey, who cares? Have fun, go enjoy it, go practice, go have just, you know, let the fish do the talking and just kind of fish the moment. And I'd end up having a good day, but day two, I'd kind of get in that rut of trying to do what I did on day one. And it was just, it would slip away from me every single day for some reason. So from the outside looking at it, you're just like, well, why don't you just do what you, you did again? But that's just not as easy as it's, you know, when you identify the problem, it's not as easy to fix as you think it is, is it? it it's not because I would know <laughs> it's like, okay, caught him good on day one. It's like, I'm going to struggle tomorrow. Like you could wake up in the morning and be like, damn, I'm going to just go back to bed. Like, like you're like the coffee doesn't even taste good. Like, you know, something's not going to go right. So you're just like, you try to do what you did day one. And that's where I would mess up is I would try to get in that same groove of what I did on day one. And those fish are ever changing. They're always moving or doing something different. So you just kind of, you have to adapt to them. And if you get stuck in that pattern of how you caught them on day one or in practice, you just, you don't catch them. You got to fish the moment and fish for the fish that are biting that day to catch the biggest bag that you possibly can on that lake that day possible. And if you try to do something else and you get stuck in a pattern, it just, it never happens. But how, but you don't know that till afterwards, right? I mean, I, I guess leading up to it, it's always like, yeah, I got to stick to it because it's going to work. And then when it doesn't work, it's, yeah, I should have changed quicker. In theory, you're like, it's foolproof, you know, it's fishing. <laughs> like, I mean, let's just take this to Las Vegas. Like let's put some, put some money on it. Like we're good, but no, it changes that quick every time. Does that ever concern you? Do you ever stop and think I, I've decided to make my living in a career where, you know, it's not like, I mean, every, every sport has its ups and downs, but fishing is not like other sports, you know, in the way that it's not all up to you. No, there's so many variables up to play. And that's why it worries you because you could have five amazing years and then you could just fall off the base of the earth. Like something could happen and you just have a bad swing of events and you just don't climb out of it. Um, I don't foresee that happening, but it's, you don't, you, it, you can't predict it. You could hurt your back, you know, and you just, you never can recover yeah. from that. That's the one thing in fishing. It's just nothing is truly predictable. Um, and that's why I love it because it's, I like to just kind of go with the flow. And that's basically what fishing is. You're definitely sitting on the edge of your chair the whole time. So with the more you accomplish and the more you're responsible for, you know, partners, sponsors, that sort of thing. Does that make it more difficult to stay in that lane? Meaning that like when it's just Patrick, a college kid who's, you know, I'm just on the elite series. Is it, is that not almost the easiest time to succeed in some ways? I think so. And I think that's why I sandbag on Bass Trek a lot too, because if you put it in there, you got a bunch of weight, then people start following you and stuff. And you're like, nah, I don't want anybody to know what I have. And so I, I think to an extent it is, but it's, you kind of got to block that out because if if you have those responsibilities being put on you, that means you're doing something right. That means yeah. you're making a living. You're actually doing your job. And so it, in a way it helps you. It's like, Hey, listen, I'm, I got to support those companies and I got to represent for them because they're supporting me. So it really just shows you just, they're doing your job. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a peculiar, it's a peculiar deal. I, I mean, it's amazing for me to watch from the outside because you just see, it affect people in so many different ways at different times in their careers. 
But I look at someone like yourself and I'm like, for the, I know you've had some low lights and that's how you have to look at it. You know what I mean? But, but realistically, I bet you you're one of college. If I'd have said to you, here's the first three years of your elite series career. Boom. This is what it looks like. What would you have said? I bet like, dang, that's not too bad. <laughs> I would take it. But it's like fishing, especially fishing for a living. It's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. You just got to be stubborn enough to freaking take the pressure. Because um, it cooks you. And that's why looking through college, if you would have told me that, I would have been like, hey, you can't you can't complain. It's It's been good three years. And that's why I'm just happy to be here. Couldn't Couldn't do without you, Dave. I mean, you're the man, the family, everybody supporting you. Just go and fish and have fun. And hopefully we can keep on that path. Keep catching them. You have a bunch of trophies behind you, but you have two in particular that you recently got. And those are century belts. And I'm just looking at them while you're talking and thinking. It's so weird how you went to Lake Fork twice within a 12 month period. I still don't know. (laughs) Waited 100 pounds twice. But one of them was a totally different experience than the other, I imagine. The second one? <laughs> yeah. I'm still kind of confused by it, honestly. Like, I had no idea it was possible. Practice was terrible. Like, I wore camouflage the first day of the tournament because I was going bed fishing. I was getting, like, one good bite of the morning, and I was like, man, this tournament, like, I'm just going to struggle. Like, this is just how it's going to be. You wore uh, camo to go bed fishing? I swear to you. I wore a camo hoodie in, like, khakis. Cause I was like, I'm going to go bed fishing. Why not? You know, that was like my game plan for the day. And I pulled up on a point to a glide bed out there and caught a good one. Um, and I was like, okay, like, dang, you know, we did what we needed to do. Let's uh, let me throw a jerk bait in there just in case. And then I caught another one about seven pounds. And I was like, dang, this is, let's go check another spot and see if it's any good. Went over there, caught a four pounder. And I was like, dang, this is, this is happening. And went back to the point where I started and caught an eight. And I was like, Oh my, it was just like it had fell in my hands because I wasn't planning on doing that. I was planning on bed fishing all day. I wanted to start out, get one good bite in the morning. Um, and that tournament truly, I've never fished a tournament where it progressed every single day differently. And then after day two, when I slipped and only caught 15 pounds, I was like, there's no way it can happen. There's no way I have a chance at winning anymore. Um, day one, I was like, hey, I actually have a chance. But when you catch 15 pounds on fork, you're like, I'm out of it. But it just shows you just how volatile that place is that, when they're biting, they are biting. And when they stop, they stop. And then that last day, I mean, man catches 42 pounds. <laughs> like, it's just like, I'm so proud of Lee for that, that I kind of forgot I caught 100. I had forgot I did it because my marshal was like, all right, you just caught like a, a 6-2 or something. And he was like, he was giving me updates like, all right, you're at 27 pounds, two pounds away from 30 pounds. And then I caught like 30 pounds and he was like, yeah, you're like one pound away from a hundred pounds or something. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know that was possible today. Like I did not go into the final day, even thinking there was a chance for that. And then just Lee's armada though. I'm telling you, you, I wish we had like drone shots of just that crowd. There'd be like beer cans floating out everywhere. Grown men just screaming some dude over there in a tank top. I mean, that crowd, they had me fired up. I even was over there cheering for Lee one time. And then I, I like wasn't even fishing. I was just holding my rod. And I'm like, whoa. It's like, it was freaking big. And I, oh, I need to probably get fishing again. Like, that was just a heck of a day. An incredible day. Um, but but to be the guy that that's happening to, what did it really feel like? There must have been a bit of like, what is happening? I have 30 pounds in my life. Well, 
and nobody's even looking at me. <laughs> well, I had like two spectators on me in the morning. And then I had that rally public around 10 o'clock or so. And I get like 12 boats on me and I'm like, okay, Sago pulls up. And I was like, let's go. When Sago pulls up on you in championship Sunday, you're just like, yep, I need one more big one. Completely left what I was doing and went just to go find a 10 pounder. I went and looked for timber and on a 10 pounder on the bed and just left them. And I don't think I called up another time after that. I have no idea why I did that. I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have left that spot. And then at like 1.30 or 2 o'clock, I go back to kind of where me and Lee had been fishing across the creek from each other. And Lee was kind of over there where I was fishing. He had a huge armada. And I, at this point, it was like three hours had went by. I had one boat on me. One boat. And uh, I'm like, damn. I mean, I know he's got him. I mean. I was like, does he have them that good? <laughs> and my marshal's like, yeah, you know, we're not allowed to tell you what they got and stuff like that. And I freaking throw my spook out there and I'm working. And I'm like, does he have them that good though? And my marshal goes, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Like it took all of the air out of my balloon. I was just like, <sighs> like I, I was just like, whatever. I'll just wait till check in. Just like, we're going to top water. Like it was over. Like you could tell my marshal's like, just a slight nod. And I was just like, dang oh shot in the so, gut so sego ruined your tournament is what you're saying it was sego's fault i think sego gave me some kind of weird confidence and i just completely left he pulled up and i was like let's go do something different and just like had left i have no idea where i went and why i did it but i was like oh yeah i'm catching him on this point let's just leave it seemed logical at the time but it was not how many of your decisions on the water are are instinctual like things where you just and I, I'm not remove this example, obviously, but but throughout the year, how many of your decisions on the water are instinctual? Where like I got to go do this, I just feel it right now. And how many of them are planned out? At one o'clock, I'm making a move to here. No, I'd never do anything like that. Um, where I never like stage a a schedule. It's like, hey, I want to hit these couple spots, but I'll I might not ever get to if I got five spots. Okay, I want to hit hit these five five spots in a day, but I might only hit two of them. Or I might hit 15. Like I might go through those five back, man, those were junk. Let's expand on it. So I'd say every day you have to fish off instincts. And that is the biggest thing in fishing is being able to trust your instincts and fish the conditions. Because like I said, things are going to change. You have to be able to scrap it, do something different, or pull up on your first spot. back, man, this spot actually is good. Let's let's milk it out, milk it out for the day and grind here. Um, and so just kind of putting everything together, fishing the conditions, and kind of let the fish do the talking. You know, if they're biting, stay on them. Uh, but sometimes even if they are biting, you got to go find a different caliber of fish. Um, so I'd say every single day of the elite series, you have to fish on instincts. If you don't, it's, you're just getting left. You can't put it down on paper and it pan out every single time. How different are you today versus your first tournament on the elite series, St. John's river? I could, As I, an feel angler. Like, I feel like I, you can fish your confidence a lot more now. I feel like I'd be fine with one day of practice. And you could just show up and just scrap everything. Like, man, they were chewing yesterday and just not even go back to it. Um, I travel with Hamner and he gives me the hardest time. He said, you have serious commitment issues. He's like, you'll call me in practice and be like, dude, they're on a swim jig. And he said, he'll call me like seven hours later. back. Like, How many more bites you had? Like, oh, dude, I put that down. I hadn't even thrown it again. He's like, what are you talking about? You said it was the winning deal and you never even tried it again. I was like, oh yeah, I just tried something else. I don't know why. Like just scrap it. Try something else. It's, I don't know. It's, I feel like you could just fish off of instincts a lot more and 
from my first tournament, that's what it's progressed to. And also I only used to fish shallow water. Uh, I used to think 15 foot of water was like deep. Like if a fish swam deeper than 15, he died. Like that was no <laughs> man's land. And now it's just with technology and just fishing more and traveling across the country. My level of confidence offshore has definitely increased where it's from the bank to offshore. You can just find the fish. It doesn't really matter. To hear you say that you never used to think a bass was in 15 feet of water. And now if I were to go and, and quiz a bunch of listeners to shows like this about who's like an offshore electronics guru, you're one of the top names that would come off. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea why either. I'm telling you, I only used to fish shallow. It's because I grew up on Santee Cooper. Five foot of water was deep. Like we just did not fish that deep. And I had a buddy in college I used to fish with. He was like, man, 20 foot of water is not deep. He said, it's just turn your boat vertical and that's 20 feet. And I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's actually not that deep. So just as you traveled around and seen different places and just kind of learn how different fish set up. But I'd say the biggest thing is, is live scope technology helps with that because it's bait awareness. I used to hate fishing offshore because I never knew where my bait was at. I never knew if I was going to hit the brush pile and that just killed me. And now that, cause that's why I love fishing shallows. You throw that spinner bait by that tree and you're watching those blades tick the whole time and you can see your bait and you can drop it when you go past that stump. And now I can do that offshore. doesn't matter what the depth is. Cause I can see my bait the entire time. And that's kind of what's given me that confidence to expand that game a little bit more. Obviously live sonar forward facing sonar is a huge topic, a huge topic this last year. What, what has it been like to be from success throwing right in the middle? I mean, be the poster child for that, that argument basically, because it's so funny to hear a guy that says I used to not fish in 15 feet of water and I was a bank beater and everything. It's so the opposite what some people would want to believe about you. I mean, some people would want to look and be like, well, he's just one of them millennials that take that graph away and he's got nothing. I mean, you, it is, it is weird to be like kind of part of that conversation because growing up fishing, I mean, I didn't get the graph until a year and a half ago. So, I mean, to get to the elites, I never had that kind of technology. And so you have to, trust your instincts in fishing and then honestly it's just another tool of the game it's just like a bait cast or a spinning rod i mean to me it's like a pair of vice grips or something it is a tool it can do a lot of different things you know it's not like a a little jig head that's like a 10 millimeter wrench it has a specific job it just it helps you expand your game and so be to be successful in the elite series and to be competitive i feel like you have to use all the tools that are out there you know, once you can kind of master them, which I feel like I'm nowhere near mastering anything yet. It's once you can kind of develop that skill with it, it just helps you break down water faster and present your bait in front of more fish. I agree. But, but just to be clear, uh, I have a lot of buddies who can fix a lot of things with vice grips. Okay. Vice <laughs> grips are an incredible set of hammer. Uh, if hammers exactly. are sets. <laughs> That's why that live scope's like a pair of vice grips. It can do a lot of different things. Is one of the biggest things about that, not just learning how to use it, but learning when not to use it and when to turn it off. hundred percent. I've always said, that's a great point, Dave. It, the biggest thing and the hardest part about learning how to use live scope 
is learning when to shut it off. It takes you probably about six months to get used to it, of fishing it in the tournament format. Um, you can fish for it with it on your home pond because you don't have any time constraints. But when you have that, that clock against you, you can burn so much time in it. And usually I use it to find fish and, you, you know, down your cast. But, I mean, I compare fish to women a lot. And if oh, she ain't in oh the mood, my, I, don't care, go. I don't care what you say or what you do. It ain't happening. And so that's the same thing with live scope. Fish, they have personalities. We never really realize that. So when you find fish, sometimes they don't bite. They're just, hey, they are not in the mood. You better keep on trucking and find one that's willing, willing to bite. <laughs> sure, sure. Definitely. Um, you just got to shake it right sometimes. You might have to finesse it down if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I always sure. start off with straight braid, but uh, that doesn't always work. <laughs> So, um, wow, you got my, you got my mind going in all sorts of different directions. Um, straight braid is always a good way to go. But okay, so so, what do you what what do you think the future is for that technology? I mean, um, and what do you think the future is for for? Oh no, sorry, just uh, uh, you got a beautiful wife. Okay, just just tell me the future of that technology. <laughs> I honestly have no idea. Who would have thought five years ago we would have seen forward-facing sonar? It's like when SideScan came out, we were all skeptical. I mean, it was like there's no way. And then we, somebody, I mean, Kevin Van Dam took it and ran with it, and I mean, just excelled with it. And then with LiveScope, I mean, it was out for five years before I started dabbling into it actually a buddy of mine got it here locally at the house and uh i got in a boat with him and we were shellcracker fishing and uh, he's like i don't even know how to work this thing and i was like well turn it on i want to look at it you know and he turned it on and i panned over like a treetop and there's like brim in top of the tree and i threw a cork and a cricket over there and watched the cricket go down and one come up and ate it and i was like i'm getting that when i get home went home that afternoon and bought it because i was like that was the craziest thing i had ever seen and so I don't know what the future holds. I would say it's probably going to fix some clarity issues. Um, I don't know what kind of range you can get out of it. Uh, further wise, I would say they'll just kind of get more of a crisper image. Um, I mean, goodness, they probably will have to set a limit on it at some point because, I mean, if it gets any better, it's you can already kind of tell these fish are getting conditioned to it. Um, at times where you, you got to cut all your sonar off. And sometimes I'm telling you, you just got to cut the live scope off and just go fishing. Um, and you'll actually get more bites. So I think it will be full circle, but for technology terms, I don't really know what the future is going to hold. Do you think one of the coolest things about it, unlike the ladies, if, if, if your approach does not work, generally you don't get a lot of feedback. <laughs> they, they just say no and, and <laughs> just turned away. But do you think one of the most powerful things about this technology is even a negative response, you're always learning. 100%. That tells you more than sometimes a good response. Because like in the wintertime, say if you're throwing a jerkbait and you're ripping that jerkbait through there and those fish, they'll start running from it. Like they want nothing to do with it. And so, you know, hey, adjust your approach. And so that's the biggest thing is I, I, so I keep a lot of rods on deck, a lot of different baits, depths, colors, variety of everything because they're all tools. And then I just kind of, I'll try to dial those fish in every single day um, with different colors, different actions uh, to really kind of see what those fish want. And sometimes you could be fishing the same body of water for a week, seven days in a row, and they will bite something different the best every single day. You know, it'll be different. 
it won't be the same, but you know, one bait will kind of be consistent, but each day they'll bite something a little bit better than they did the past day. So it's just learning that, just kind of learning their behavior a little bit. It's, it's pretty neat to kind of show you. I honestly think it'll probably rewrite the book of bass fishing of just what we know about them. Do you think it'll actually change the species in the way that where they long-term where they locate themselves or do you think it, it just, it just allows us to see them from a different area? I think it allows us to see them under a different light. I think they've been doing it for years. I mean, it's just like Kentucky Lake when those fish, they would spawn and there'd be a lot of fish on the bank, but it would like, you didn't see that many fish. And when they, in the heyday, when they'd go to the ledges, you were like, where did all these fish come from? You had no idea where they were at. So it's, they've been in these lakes. We're just finding them on different patterns. Um, and so that's why I think it'll be full circle. Once we kind of catch them doing this, they'll go back to their old patterns of being way up under an undercut bank. You don't, you have to flip up a, a jig on 30 pound fluorocarbon to catch them. It's just, it will kind of go how they set up, but I don't think they'll change that much. Well, speaking of change, the one thing that doesn't seem to change with you is, is you, really. I mean, you're you're very polished. You're very put together. All your answers are. I mean, it's you're, you you seem so much older than you really are. Uh, so I want I want to I want to learn about you. Well, what what do you do outside of fishing? What is what is a if next Saturday, next Sunday, you're like, hey, this weekend we're going to go have fun and we're nothing to do with tournament fishing. What is Patrick Walters doing? Probably going to be on the water tying one on. Honestly, I mean, that's hanging with the family, hanging with friends, just kind of relaxing. Um, if we're not fishing, we're either talking fishing or just relaxing, kicking back, um, getting ready for hunting season. Deer season actually opens up August 15th in South Carolina. So we've got some things to start looking forward to, but just kind of taking it easy. Pontooning, relaxing. Exactly. Pontooning. We've got a little 15 foot Boston whaler. I mean, just throw her back, burn some oil, just do some riding. You told me that things worked out a lot better than you imagined. If I'd have said to you in your first year of college that this is what the first three years in the Elite Series is going to end up like. What is your long-term goal? Where, where are you at? You know, 20 years from now, what, what needs to happen in your life competition-wise? I mean, I've got a lot of goals set. I want to win a lot more tournaments on the Elite Series. I want to win a Classic. I want an AOY Championship. Just everything. If there's a title to be had, that's kind of what my goals are set for. And it may take 20, may take 30 years, may never accomplish it, but that's kind of where my bar set at is I'd like to win two or three classics AOI. It's just go for the top of the record book. And if you don't get there, hopefully at least you get your name in it. You know, and that's the kind of goal, just go fishing and be able to make a life and a living out of this, because this is what I love. I love the industry. I love the people in it. Um, the amount of support that people rally behind you in fishing is kind of unreal. Who would have really thought that's like when I said I wanted, you know, to fish professionally, I remember when um, I asked for Emily's hand in marriage, her parents were like, is this like a real thing? Like, what's your backup plan? Like, <laughs> I, we're just kind of worried that you're not going to make any money. And I was like, man, we're going to be good. Like we're going to, hopefully we can make it. And that's the thing. It's just always, think positive, positive thoughts, just have a good mental attitude about it. You know, good things will happen if you just believe in. So just kind of work at it, have a good work ethic and keep on catching. But, but how, what do you say? I mean, when I look at all the collegiate anglers that have come and gone 
You know what I mean? And I don't even mean on the elite series. Some of them never made it to the elite series, but really talented anglers. Um, and you know that, you know, oh, but yeah. you're, you made it. Why did you make it outside of them? Like what, or can you even fathom that? Or do you just focus on doing your job? Sometimes it's as simple as a lucky break. I mean, one tournament went right. It, and it, I'm telling you, it's, it could be the small thing. Hey, you, you decided to go to the back of this pocket and you caught that one fish that made it created a life for you. You, you made the cut, you won that tournament. And that was just, it was as a snowball effect. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And sometimes it's just dedication. You don't know, but a lot of times it could just be as simple as just one decision. And that's the biggest thing. That's why it's crazy to be here. And I'm so thankful for that because just as quick as we got here, you could have never even made it or you could leave. So it's, you can't take it for granted. That's for sure. Is that what kind of fuels all the off season prep and everything? I mean, this season just ended and and the first thing you said in this interview is working towards next season. Is that what fuels it? Just the, the ability to know, I don't want to lose what I have. Absolutely. Because this is amazing. I mean, to be able to do this for a living, I don't want to lose this. I could not get a nine to five job. I'm telling you, I, me sitting at a desk, this is about the only time I can sit at a desk is right now talking with you. Cause if I had to do that from nine to five at a job, they'd be like, yeah, we're going to have to fire this guy. Like he's not doing anything. I'd be over there looking at Google earth the whole time. I mean, just watching YouTube videos, you know, that's what fuels me to catch fish, to be able to maintain and enjoy this livelihood. It's an amazing way to make a living, and uh, you're an amazing part of the Elite Series. There has to be some pros that, that are more fun to beat than others. Who drives you on the Elite Series? Who do, who do you want to make sure that you're ahead of every single tournament other there's than always, everybody? There's always a couple. Um, we always have some friendly competitions. Uh, me and Cook have a good competition because we kind of come in. losing. He does. That's oh. why I love getting him fired up. Because we came in at the same time, and he holds that ROI over my head, I swear to you, every single day. He's like, well, that's one thing Patrick Walter never gets, that ROI. And I'm like, <laughs> it's true. But that's just one of those things. Me and my buddy Hamner, we travel together, and we always we have that friendly competition. But uh, it's, it's everybody. I mean, you just want to go out there and have fun. It's bragging rights. You just want to be able to say you cut more than the other guy next to you. How impressive was it for you to watch what Takumi Ito did at that last event, knowing that a year before he had never caught a smallmouth bass? It's unfathomable. <laughs> I mean, he is in a foreign country. And I, I could only imagine myself going to Japan. I wouldn't be able to read a no wake buoy. It could say no trespassing. I have no idea. And for him to come to a foreign country like that and to succeed the way he does, kudos. I love Taku to death. He is truly an inspiration. I mean, for everybody, for all the Japan anglers, for everybody here in the U.S., the dude flat out catches them. I was talking with Sego about it because he was like, Patrick, I need you to hold the fish up more and bring him to that side of the boat. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Sego. Like, I'll do it. Like, I promise. Like, he's like trying to coach me through it. I'm like, thanks, coach. And he's like, uh, Taku, he'll fight the fish for 10 minutes. He said he'll have 3,000 photos by the time he leaves Taku with four fish catches. He said he'll fight it for 10 minutes, take it every single side of the boat. And I'm like, 10 minutes? I was like, if he, if I fight that fish for three minutes, I'm like exhausted. I'm <laughs> like, I don't think my heart can handle that. So truly, he is an extremely impressive angler. I think he's going to be here for a long period of time. I mean, just 
what he can do with smallmouth. It's a smallmouth Disneyland. He's got some smallmouth secrets, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of us want to see inside that box. Yeah, no, he he is amazing, and and, and one of the things that stands out from him that that. I mean, you brought it up earlier, how important it is to have that good mental outlook. And and there is literally, and everybody has bad days. You know, I get it. But to Kumi Ito, I'll be honest, and I'm not talking, I said this a few times, but I'm not talking about like when I'm talking to him or when I see him talking to you. I'm talking about when you look out your hotel room window at night and you see him rigging rods, he's happy. I mean, he's doing what he loves. And is that the most important thing to make it? You know, if you don't, you might think you love tournament fishing, but if you don't truly love it, it's pretty tough to make it in this gig. It definitely is because you don't go that extra mile. You know, you don't stay out there rigging late. You don't stay out there doing the research to to want to succeed. You know, you do what you have to do to get by, but you don't put in that extra little bit. And that's what Taku does. I remember after uh, the classic this year at Ray Roberts, I went back out there to do some stuff with Daiwa. And he was at the boat landing filming with uh, one of the Japanese film crews. It was, I telling you, Dave, it was like 1230 or one o'clock. And he's in the middle of the parking lot, boat on the trailer, on the asphalt, doing this video, pouring sweat. I went over there and talked to him. I'm like, Taku, go under like a shade tree or like do it in this. Oh, no, we're going to we're going to film and then we'll go fishing. And I'm like, he's just grinning, like loving life, sweating to death. He's like doing this just. (laughs) Porns, I'm like, man, it is too hot out here for this. I was like, let's just go ride around. And that's the thing. You have to love it. And he loves every single aspect of it. Talked to Seth Fighter last week. And obviously, a lot of hoopla around Seth winning Angler of the Year. But one of the things that was shocking that came up in our conversation was when he first drove home from Sabine River, he actually, and he's not a crier, but he said it cried because he really felt like, man, I don't know that I have it to do what I've always dreamed of doing. You know, I've tried to do it and, and I, I couldn't hang. Did you ever have it? Have you had any of those moments where you just kind of thought to yourself, man, maybe this isn't for me. There's always that kind of doubt that right. It comes up in your mind sometimes, but I think that's the biggest thing in having a good tournament. Seth winning AOI, being able to win a tournament. It gives you that taste of blood, but it mainly gives you that confidence like, hey, I can do it. And then it makes you want it even more. So honestly, we've had some good seasons. He just had an extremely amazing season. And everybody's probably like, oh, he won't do it again. He got the taste of blood now. Like, you better watch out because that sucker is about to continue to catch him and probably catch him even better. And so that's the thing. He's He just now got that ball rolling. He's finding himself as an angler. He's trusting his instincts. And now it's kind of when, I mean, look at Van Dam. Look at the run he had. Who would have thought he would have did it for that many years? And I easily believe Seth's going to be doing the same thing. Was Seth's road harder because he struggled the first two years uh, than yours when you look at it? Or is it just a totally everyone's got a different role? Because, I mean, I think you top five your first tournament. I, I think everybody's it's, – it's different for everybody. Um me personally, I learn from mistakes. I learn from getting my teeth kicked in. And that's when I take the, the hardest lesson away of that's when it makes you want it even more. And I think that's what happened with Seth. Like it put him, it put him down those first couple of seasons. He didn't have the finishes he wanted. He knew we could do it, but he was starting to question it. And then he started climbing back up. And so I think it's just 
performance is based off of for every it's different for everybody and so it's i think now that he got the taste of it he'll continue and so i think it's just a little bit different road nothing real crazy though everybody does their their own road and uh that's Absolutely. the one thing that makes the elite series so amazing i mean you guys and and all of your stories and uh, and i thank you for sharing a little of yours with me here today what, what, what do you have planned for the rest of the week here what's ahead for patrick walters just some tidying up some honeydew list a uh, little bit of yard work and uh, hopefully get the boat back from falcon because uh, I'm ready to do some fishing. I got some smallmouth gear in the garage. I got to go organize. I think I ordered about 6,000 two and three quarter inch tubes that I was like, wow, I have way too many tubes now. Like, I did not realize I ordered that many. Uh, I'm ready to go catch some smallmouth. That's what I'm looking forward to. Good luck in the opens. And thank you for being part of uh, this podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Patrick Walters. This is an awkward ending, right? Let's come up with something good to end with. Could you say? <laughs> Can I sing? Negatory, nah. boss. God, it Absolutely would be so not. good if you just belted out like some Frank Sinatra. Regrets. No. I've had a- <laughs> it would start sp- cracking. Everybody would be like, yeah, God, we've got to end this podcast. Like, if you want them to get off, they'd be like, we're not even subscribing. Like, we're out. What, other, be sk- what other skills and abilities do you have that nobody knows about? Exactly. I know. I'm sorry. I just let you down. Crickets. First time ever. First time you ever let me down. But one area you'll never let me down is on the water and on the Elite Series stage. Patrick Walters, you are awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Dave. Did I lie? Prim, proper, put together, ironed, and all business. Straight braid. Patrick Walters wouldn't even give me a freaking wacky ending. So I'll give it to you myself. Goodbye. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?